Healthy Wednesdays. I'm Joel Sedicase. And I'm Pastor Rafe. What's up, Joel? What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Good. Back in Chicago. Feels good to be here. Yeah, dude. I can tell you're back in Chicago because you've got a wall of books behind you. I've got a wall of my books behind me, Joel. I've got a wall of my books. It's, it feels home when I'm nestled nestled between my books. <laughs> that sounds uh, wrong. No, no. It sounds so right. So right. You know, uh, sometimes I like to just take a pile of books into bed with me and just lay them all on me and just, no, that's too far. That's too yeah, that, that went weird. That's Well, it did get a little weird. <laughs> Um, but that's okay uh, because this is Worldview Wednesdays and things things get a little a little uh, intense sometimes. But um, but uh, we definitely got an intense topic to talk about today. But I think one of the things that I've been real grateful for, man, is the way that we've been able to approach these topics, which quite honestly can be very controversial, very divisive even. Mm-hmm. But when you approach them with scripture and you're speaking to Christians to help them not only analyze and just get all worked up but actually to to put their faith into practice mm-hmm. in real time you know it's been an encouragement to me i don't know about for you but uh, it's been good i'll tell you what you know i think that's part of my heart of doing this with you joel is it's kind of twofold and you nailed it one is there the biblical worldview speaks into every area of our life, everything. There's not a sphere of all of God's creation. There's not a thing we're going to go through in life, whether it has to do with our career, with politics, with ethics, with anything that the Bible does not give clarity on. And as Christians, we not only need to understand that, but I think that there's a whole a whole world of Christians in the West that really think their Christian faith is about what they do on church on Sundays and maybe a little bit more than that. And it's not. The Christian faith is about the kingdom of God working its way through your life and your whole life in surrender to Christ. And so part of my hope is that, you know, thinking about worldview, that we recognize when we talk about these topics, it's not just to push on controversial stuff. It's to show this is what the Bible, the Bible speaks into this. Let the Bible inform you. Mm. And then to do it in such a way um, that's very pastoral and, and very, uh, very wise, discerning, clear, but so full of compassion and love, the kind of love we know Christ had, firmness and conviction, uh, but at the same time pastoral. And I think that's we have an opportunity here to shape some of that. Yeah, firmness and conviction uh, without unnecessarily uh, being abrasive. But also, yep. uh, that doesn't mean we water things down and get all uh, soft and, uh, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not supposed to be the wet paper towel no, you of discipleship it. here. We're supposed to, you know, firm but flexible and above all things biblical. What did you, know, you, you grab there? So, Have you ever read a biography on John Knox? Oh, no. Here's what I know about John Knox. Okay, go all, ahead. All, all of the really hardcore, uber, super reformed guys uh-huh. in, every, in all the Facebook groups um, that I used to be a part of love John <laughs> Knox and want to be like John Knox. And I understand he was a firebrand. He was a Scotsman, so he's my kinsman. Uh-huh. Um, I'm part Scottish. Are you? And... Uh, and I know he did a lot there in uh, as part of the Reformation in Scotland. Well, well, tell, tell, tell me about him. Tell me well, about what him. I was going to say is uh, his approach is is not the approach I'm trying to strike here. Why? No, the one I think you're, I, John, we have so much to learn from John Knox, the entire reform reformers crew. You know, John Knox was very close with John Calvin. Uh, he loved that brother, and they uh, Calvin was really like a mentor and a tutor to him. Yeah. Um, but John Knox, he had a way about him. He saw the world in extreme black and whites. Um, and that shaped how he spoke and preached and taught. 
And because of that, he was oftentimes moved to violence as a form of seeing his vision of a Christian world come forward. And while there's so much to learn from John Knox, and you know, you know, I'm not going to sit here and knock John Knox for uh, the things that I believe maybe he was off on, um, but I would say that he oftentimes would have to come back and later apologize for taking such like something is would happen, right? and he would just draw a knife in the sand and say, "But this is how it is," and he'd get everyone riled up, and then an hour later he'd have to come back and be like, "Okay, that was a little hot-headed of me." Um, and it caused some damage. And so I think that there's a lot to learn really. from a guy like him. Yeah, yeah me neither. <laughs> a lot to learn from a guy like him in terms of his boldness and courage. Um, but also we need to have a, a compassion about the way we engage with these topics in a way that's accessible for everybody. Yeah, man. Now, what was um, what was John Knox's relationship with the governmental structure at the time? Was oh, that, boy. Was, was that – this is before Bloody Mary, right? Was the it, right in the middle of it. Right in the oh, right in the middle of it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So he was right in the middle of everything that was happening with the Church of England, and what you know, there were he, there was this weird crossover between church and state, um, which he, in some ways, really advocated for. He advocated for a very Protestant nation, um, yeah, and really yeah. expelling all forms of Catholicism and the understanding of the Catholic Mass out. He called it idolatry. So I don't want any any in here. And so when they had a Catholic queen who was trying to bring back the Catholic mass into their, uh, into the nation. He really, he fought against it and he tried to bring about reform in the government, uh, saying that the government should take on a Protestant form. And so obviously in our day we have, uh, I, I, there's so much theology to work through there and what they were, what guys like John Calvin and guys like John Knox are trying to establish in Geneva and Scotland, um, there's a lot to learn from them. We don't necessarily need to steal and make copies of it, um, but it's 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 too simplified to just say they had it wrong. Yeah. Actually, they had a lot right. Well, and as Christians, we do well to really study what they were trying to do and understand it and how it influences us today. We do, especially in light of what we're talking about today. So let's introduce our topic. We're talking about the recent... I'm not making a, I'm not making a direct uh, correlation here between... Uh, Bloody Mary, and um, <laughs> as if we're not in, in trouble enough already with, with with this podcast, man. Look, here's here's what here's what I'm getting at. We 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 are talking today about something that went down in our own city of Chicago just this past weekend, where there was a raid and attempted. See, here's the thing. I don't even want to call it an attempted raid because on the one hand, it was a raid. On the other hand, if they really wanted to raid, the police know how to get down a door. Right. Um, but it was it was something. Uh, but at uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church down on the south side, down in the Woodlawn neighborhood, which is close to Hyde Park, down by University of Chicago down there. And uh, you're our resident um, south sider. So um, how, how familiar are you with that, that with the Woodlawn area? With the area, I don't know the church that well or the pastor personally or anything like that, but I know the Woodlawn area. A number of our folks live down in the Hyde Park area and kind of around Woodlawn area, that type of space. So I know the area well. Okay, so so why don't we describe what happened? Um, and then we've got, a, we've got a few things to look at today, man. We've got, oh, my baby's coming in. I want you to go over to go to mommy. I love you, sweetie. That's why I always lock your door. When you're, you're a good dad, Joel. <laughs> Well, um, so I learned from the best man. 
So, um, Dan Osborne. So yeah. <laughs> we are, um, what, what we need to talk about, here, here's what's happened over the last couple of weeks. On May 14th, Mayor Lori Lightfoot wrote a letter, an open letter to Chicago faith leaders, which I don't even like that title, faith leaders. Like faith is just something for religion. That's just mm. what religious people have. Look, religious leaders, let's just call them that, okay? Um, she wrote this open letter. That's May 14th. Okay, the following weekend, I guess it would have been like May 16th, something like that. She dispatched police to block the parking lots of at least one church in Chicago, I believe on the north side. Mm -hmm. Then the following weekend, which is this past Sunday, as we record this, she sent police. This is the report. She sent police down to Cornerstone Baptist Church in the Woodlawn neighborhood. And the police... Uh, knocked on the door and I'm using, I'm, I'm saying knock, you know, police have a way of knocking. That's maybe a little bit more aggressive than knocking, but they're, they're beating on the door, knocking on the mm -hmm. door. The, um, we're going to read the report, but the pastor, pastor Courtney Lewis, um, he was in the middle of his sermon and he directed his parishioners not to open the door. And they're in a neighborhood of Chicago where they lock their door anyway. Right. And so he told them, he said, just like I always do. I said, don't open the door. And uh, the way he described it, man, is chilling. The, what, what he compared it to is absolutely chilling. So um, how much have you interacted with this story? Before we get into that, the, the letter that the mayor wrote, the follow-up from Pastor Courtney. I, I've read the articles. So I've been reading okay. the articles the last, you know, last day, just kind of following up with the story. And he, I've heard his comments of what it was like being there. And I can imagine, right? Just imagine you're a pastor giving your sermon and then you hear, and, you know, it, that's an important detail that you just noted there, that they regularly keep their doors locked. I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact of there's a whole other story happening in Chicago right now, which is it's Memorial Day weekend. The weather is getting warmer and the violence is beginning yet again. Uh, and so I, that's an important worldview conversation for us to have at the same time that in the world of politics, it has to be balanced. But that's what he was dealing with. He locks his door and posts basically a sentry at his door. Uh, to protect them from uh, violence that might take place or someone that might come in with bad intentions. Yeah, which is a, a scary thing that he has to do that, but sounds like he was being smart. Sounds like it actually paid off in this case. I mean, who, who knows what would have happened? You know, you can imagine um, the, the mayor probably didn't want those optics of Chicago police going in and actually um, breaking the door down. But right. if that front door had been unlocked, um, who's to say how that would have played out? I wonder. Right. Would there have been arrests? Would there have been um, violence? You know, it's yeah. hard to say. Um, yeah, and, and you just as you before you go further, I do just want to say, with respect to Lori Lightfoot uh, and how she's approached this, she certainly is drawing a hard line, and and she is she is pushing hard from what she's trying to do. She has, at the, at the same time as we're describing this scenario, it definitely is. Uh, an amped up response to send police. I think some were uniformed, some did not have the uniform on, some were more undercover to send them and have them bang on the door. Uh, it, it, it definitely is a step up. Um, she has overall in the face of a number of churches writing, you know, the Romanian churches up on the North side, kind of writing a, a document saying, Hey, we're going to reopen. She's been quite, uh, I want to say non-aggressive, in a respectful tone to her. I, I think there were some parking things. She tried to stop people from parking. I think she's maybe given some citations and some fines. But so just all that to say, this was definitely 
the most aggressive, if we can use that term, uh, stance towards yeah. a church that was having service. So it was just it was it was a new step in the in the story. Yeah, it was, and you know the fact that it was um, preceded by this letter that she wrote, which which we should probably get into that and and see what she said. Um, it's almost not surprising that she's now taking this step because that the letter that the open letter to Chicago faith leaders was something like a kind of a shot across the bow, you know, uh, a warning shot right. to to say, hey, um, here's what I'm asking of you and uh, I hope you'll comply. So let me see if I can pull up that open letter. Um, here we go. So this is Mayor Lori Lightfoot's open letter to faith leaders. Right. And I saw this. This was like over two weeks ago now yeah, that that's came right. out and mm -hmm. I got a copy of it. Yeah. Um, so it was from May 15th and uh, she said, okay, well now I'm, oh, here we go. Okay. Dear members of the Chicago faith community, I write at a moment when there is frustration and concern about the continued limitations on the number of people who can be convened for worship and other important services. I've heard from and consulted with many of you and I very much appreciate your counsel and your candid comments. As a person of faith, my constant prayer is for strength and wisdom. Having grown up in a church, I am very much aware of how the full embrace of a church community nourishes one's soul. The when question about the reopening of church is a daily conversation I have with my 91-year-old mother, herself a devout woman of faith, who sorely misses seeing members of her church family and feels the pangs of loneliness and isolation that physical distance can bring. What I tell her in these conversations and what I say to you now is that these limitations on our mobility are necessary to save lives. And so, just as I have counseled my own beloved mother, I now urge you Stay the course, continue your ministry, but do it consistent with the social distancing guidelines that have made an enormous difference and saved our city from overwhelming our healthcare system, burying even more people and devastating more <laughs> families. Pausing right there, Rafe, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I got a whole lot of a world of thoughts. The first thought I have is in respect to the letter itself, the way it was worded, I actually thought it was a well-worded letter. I think of everything she's trying to do, Lori Lightfoot, and I think of the worldview that she's operating out of. And um, I, I actually think the wording on it is is quite good. She tried to connect. She said, look, I'm, she recognized herself as a person of faith, which I'm not sure what that means entirely. Right. Um, but she tried to give credence and understand that churches place a very high priority on gathering together. Um, what she did not address in there are a number of other really important things. It's more what she left out as part of the conversation, the variables that we do need to discuss. And so I, I think as I begin to give a little commentary on this, the first thing I want to re-say it, we said this a couple weeks ago when we talked about J.B. Pritzker. Man, we want to have the utmost respect for our governing officials. We want to pray for them. Uh, we want to recognize that we are in uh, unprecedented, well, that's not true. This has happened before, but we, we're in very unique times. In our lifetimes, for, the, for sure. In our lifetime. Yeah. And the job of governing through this it's not easy. The job of pastoring through this isn't easy. Uh, and the job of governing through this is not easy. And so uh, every bit of commentary we give is with respect to our leadership, with prayers for our leadership, but also with uh, an ultimate authority who is God and us opening our Bibles with the Bible open saying, okay, how do we interpret this? What is real? And how do we use scripture to actually help us navigate how the church should respond, knowing that our ultimate authority is not the government? Our ultimate authority is God, who has placed government as his deacon, that's the Romans 13 language, his servant to execute justice. 
And so ultimately the biblical view is government ought to serve the Lord. And I think the other bit of preface there that's important for us as we dig in, I, I wanna be make sure we're clear, anyone who's watching this, I, in no way, shape or form here in the center of Chicago would I advocate for a total just, hey, open the doors of every church, let's right. just go at it and pretend this thing isn't real. Yeah. Every day people are dying in our own church, uh, not at the location where I, uh, uh, I'm a pastor, but across the city, Joel, where you are a, a member of, uh, we've had members who have passed away mm -hmm. from COVID-19. And we, as a church, we have a deep, deep compassion for people, a sympathy for loved ones who are uh, losing lives, losing other loved ones. Um, and we really want to care for people well. It's the hallmark of the church. This is what Jesus did. He just loved people who were suffering well. And so at the front of the conversation is not how fast can we open the church? At the front of the conversation is how do we with compassion be the church in the midst of a suffering world? With that, we also do have a concern for when can we open the church and do it with wisdom. And we wanna be a part of that conversation and, and try to think about it biblically, scientifically. We wanna bring all the variables into play and make a wise decision. And so again, I, I say that by way of preface because I think sometimes what the non-Christian secular world hears Christians saying right now is, we don't care about people. We just want to open the church. And whoa, let's just make sure that's not the case. Right. No, right, not at all. No well, one is no one's arguing that. Such an obvious misconstrual. I mean, I haven't heard any Christians saying, we don't care about people. We need to open the church. Okay, here's the thing. There have been some protests. There have been people out there on the streets. So, you know, I've seen signs, not from around here, but I've seen signs people have been carrying that say, uh, your fear doesn't trump my freedom, stuff like that. Right. Okay, look. Which, by the way, is true. But that being said, like, as right. Christians, we care about you. We we want you to live. We want you to, right. not only do we want you to live a long and healthy life in this life, we literally want you to live forever. Right. Like, we're all about life. Oh, that's we're, good, Joel. You know, like, like we, we know it's hard to evangelize to someone when they've tragically died. So right. we're not, we're not um, evangelized, meaning, you know, share the gospel with somebody. Um but the the issues at play here are deeper than sort of an individualistic populist desire to uh, you know do whatever we want. I mean, there are deep constitutional issues that go down to the founding ethos of our nation. And I want right. to I want to uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in Lori Lightfoot's letter here because I think that there's another part we need to interact with. And this is when she says, and I quote: Now, some have argued. By the way, if you hear. Um, my kids in the background, uh, they are um, uh, very loud and rowdy. Uh, so where did they get that from, Joel? I I don't know, man. Been hanging out with the, hanging out with the Chenneries too much. Uh, some have argued. I wish actually we got to get the families together once it's approved. Um, some have argued that these rules of mere civil authorities should not apply to the faith community. A terminology, the faith community. <clears throat> okay. Or that the imposition of these mobility restrictions impinges on religious freedom. My friends, the necessity of limiting the size of gatherings and limits on mobility are not about religious freedom or the more legalistic, quote, free exercise of religion, end quote. Why'd you have to put that in scare quotes? There is nothing about the stay-at-home order that has prevented all faith traditions to gather virtually for services, rituals, and activities that are meaningful for your community. Those of you who are of the Christian faith know that the Gospel of Matthew 
teaches that, quote, where two or more are gathered in my name, yeah. there will I be also, end quote. Rafe, what do we do with this? We're getting... Uh, well, this is the problem when a non-Christian is, uh, someone who's not a Christian is trying to use the Bible uh, to defend their position. They, they, they get in a little trouble here. Right. So I think one of the things that's happening is Lori Lightfoot's coming at this from a secular worldview, and the the worldview she's approaching at it is is the gathering of the church on a Sunday is equivalent to the gathering of the fans for a Cubs game. And it's like, okay, look, I know it's better together, right? Like it's better to be at Wrigley. I get it. But in the face of a pandemic, in you know, everyone's fine in this situation, just not meeting. And you can do it digitally. It's the same thing. Just might as well do it digitally. Plenty of people watch a baseball game every single week digitally. So you can do that digitally as well. Right. Um, and I, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of the church. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of divine revelation. Um, and these are just two different worldviews. To be honest with you, anyone who's listening right now, and I have, you know, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old. And a lot of the stuff in Christianity seemed totally foolish to me um, before I was a Christian. And even in my first few years, I was learning about the Christian faith. And I, I have a deep sympathy for people who really don't understand this. But I think it's important to realize someone coming from a secular worldview, just simply put, will not understand this. Mm -hmm. But the biblical worldview is that the, yes, the church is not a building. It, the church is not just what happens on a Sunday morning. Nope, it's way more than that. It's a body of believers. We're still the church today. We're still on mission today. Same God as God today. Amen. Hallelujah. Yet, there's something very specific and important that takes place in the gathering of God's people per divine revelation, per what God has communicated. And that is more than what happens at a baseball game. It's not just our hoorah moment, right, to come together. Yes, that's part of what happens. You get built up when I get to see you. And, um, there's more than that. There's the preaching of God's word. There's the taking of the communion together. There's the worship of the saints in the gathering, which is formational. That's, you can't get the same thing uh, over a Zoom meeting. Uh, there's so much that takes place. There's the laying on of hands of prayer where there's actually a power transfer. <laughs> oh, come on, right? There's Holy Let's Spirit. Go power where you're praying in geography with people and the power of geographic prayer. There's uh, people who come in with brokenness, who as they're sitting among the saints who are engaged in the actual preaching moment are experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the presence of others. And then they come forward for prayer. All of these things are not just, uh, you know, little icing on the cake. This is actually the, the centerpiece of, it, it's so central to the Christian faith. There's a centerpiece here of gathering together regularly, which is why Hebrews tells us, don't forsake to gather together regularly. It's why 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about setting up communion, it says, when you come together as a church, I hear you're doing these things. Don't do those things. Don't division. You need to be unified when you come together. That's literally what it, what it was. And so... We have a worldview difference here, and that's well, yes. why we have a why Christians right now are really pushing on the look. If Home Depot can figure it out, and abortion clinics can figure it out, and liquor stores can figure it out, yeah. can you trust the people of God yeah. that we care enough about people more than an abortion clinic does that we're going to take such caution and care to love our neighborhoods well? Mm -hmm. If they can figure it out, I'm pretty sure the pastors of the city can figure it out too. Well, and and so looking again at Mayor Lightfoot's letter. You know, what she said was very revealing. She, she, first of all, she put the free exercise of religion in, in quotes. And um, there's this, there's this, you see this oftentimes 
in uh, news articles where they will put like religious freedom or free exercise of religion in scare quotes. And scare quotes are right uh it's it's a journalistic technique that basically says look this, it's purported to be this but between you and me we know that's not really what's going on here right all right so so she says free exercise of religion in scare quotes in other words look these people say that they're concerned about free exercise of religion that's not really what this is about because and then she lays out her case she says you can you can meet virtually you can meet remotely the Rafe, you mentioned it and you hit the nail on the head, man. You said that this was a worldview issue. According to the biblical worldview, human beings are embodied spirits. And I just got in a debate with my Bible study recently about this. Are we uh, tripartite or, uh, or, or dualistic? Are we, are we body and spirit or mm -hmm. are we body, spirit and soul? Right. But according to the Christian worldview, we're at least body and soul. We're at sure. least, the, right? So, now look, Rafe, you and I, we're talking virtually. The folks who are listening to us are listening in their car, in their living room, in their kitchen, wherever they may be, right? We, you could say that there's some sort of a soul or a spiritual connection here. I'm not trying to be mystical with this. I'm just saying there's a mental connection that's happening here. I'm transmitting information to you. It's being mediated through the air, through the screen, um, through your eardrums. It's being mediated, right? Right. So there's, there's, a, there's a connection that's happening here. But it's not the same as a physical connection. Um, it's not the same as an embodied connection. Biblically speaking, we are not um, only our bodies, but we're not, but we are embodied. And so for, for Lori Lightfoot to say that for her to equivocate um, on, on worship and say, look, you get to freely exercise your religion. You just have to do it virtually. That what she needs to understand, and I love how you said you have sympathy for those who don't understand this. I'm right there with you. I wouldn't expect her to, to understand this. But what she needs to understand is that there is something about Christian worship that needs to be embodied. It needs to be physical. We eat bread. We drink a cup. I was just teaching my kids about communion this morning as part of their catechism. We eat the bread and drink the cup remembering Jesus' death. And we do this together. And you know what, dude? There is something spiritually powerful when that happens. First um, Corinthians 14.25 says this. Check this out. Now, this is when the Apostle Paul is talking about the gathered saints in a church gathering. He says, uh -huh. but if an unbeliever or uninstructed person comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convicted and called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart will be revealed. Yeah. So he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is truly among you. What shall we say then, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a psalm or a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these must be done to build up the church. So there's right. an evangelistic component. There's a discipleship component. There's an edifying component. But it happens not via Zoom. It's not a spiritual or mental connection only. And and the, the response is not spiritual or mental e uh, either. Look at the response of the outsider when he comes in. He falls face down before God. Mm -hmm. It's an embodied response to an embodied gathering. This is a reality that those who don't understand the biblical teaching about what it means to gather for church, we don't expect them to understand, but it is up to us to to teach, to instruct, right. and, to, and to get that out there. And by the way, Joel, every pastor, and hopefully most Christians, can affirm that verse is true. Do you know how many times I've seen people come in who are non-believers, who experience the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and fall on their face before a holy God, oh, repenting yeah. of their sins and putting their faith in Christ. And so that that does happen. That's, that, that verse is historically accurate. That's what takes place when the power of the Holy Spirit is working uh, through the gathering of the saints. You know, I think the, the challenge with the sending the police is Lori... Lori's got herself in a, in a jam, and I, and I understand what she's trying to do. She's trying to enforce the laws she's put down, and if she's trying to keep people safe, I, I really have a respect for trying to keep people safe. I, I appreciate yeah. her her effort, even though it might be not exactly how I would do it. She I, I can her appreciate mom or elderly her. mother. The problem is further upstream than the police. The police is a reaction to her trying to enforce her her laws that she's putting in place. Well, her I don't know if we can use the word law because it's her her commands. Well, her commands. The it's further upstream. Uh, one of the conversations that's happening among the pastors in Chicago uh, is is that we want a, a seat at the table and having the conversation. Uh, she mentioned in that letter that she has heard from many of us of the faith leaders, and I wouldn't call myself one of the strong. Like I'm not one of. I don't expect that Lori would be calling my phone. I'm not some like big important faith leader in Chicago or something like that. I'm Pastor Rafe, right, Park South Loop. Uh, but there's plenty of folks who sh should be kind of first on that list in the city of people to call and, and really ask. And almost none of them have had phone calls. Uh, and there's been actually a petition that's been put together by a lot of the people in the faith community saying to the leaders of Chicago, to the leaders of the state, uh, we at least want to be a part of this conversation. We want to look at the same science you are. Help us understand you. Because when we look at the science, right? When I look at the science, I, I really, I'm coming to different conclusions, and I'm not a dumb person. I, I'm about looking the Ed at the Ed Stetzer letter. Uh, the Ed Stetzer letter. Ed Stetzer put it together. A bunch of other pastors across Chicago. Our church signed on to it. It's basically a very, it's a well-written letter from church leaders saying, "Can you include us in this? Because if you're going to be making laws that govern how we worship." We want to understand the data you're using to make those decisions. And we want to help you understand our position so we can have a good state. And uh, it hasn't taken place. And, and because of that, I think a lot of the faith community, I don't want to say that we're growing skeptical. Um, but when churches are not being considered emergency personnel, it's a fundamental worldview miss. <laughs> it is the emergency personnel. Uh, and it just signals that we're really not being considered at the table. And that's historically new. And so I think that's the place where pastors are saying, look, we don't just want to run rough shot over everything and open everything up. Right. But can you help us understand this? Because what we're seeing right now is a great division happening across the nation. And you haven't even invited us to have the conversation. And that's really, uh, that's, that's really not the fabric of the country that we live in. Uh, yeah. The fabric of our country is one where the church is so central to the society itself, yeah. that the government even recognizes that this is a critical person at the table. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, no, dude, I didn't want to cut you off, man. That was that was uh, that that's absolutely right. And the question is, what is going to be the future relationship between churches in Chicago? And we could extend this and extrapolate this out to other major metropolitan areas, or really any area. And and here's the side note. It, um, the last thing we want to do here is to politicize this um, and right. to start and to start talking about um, this in terms of uh, which political party is in power or anything like that. And and so if anyone's listening and, and they're they're concerned that we're going that route, look, Chicago has long been uh, a city that's um, governed, controlled by the Democratic Party. 
but Chicago, Chicago is a unique place, man. I mean, like you, political alliances here are not the way that they're not how they are in Nashville. They're different than New York. They're not the same as LA. They're, they're just, they're different. So we're not coming at this from a political standpoint. Um, we want to approach this biblically. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, is what is going to be the church's relationship to the government, the city government going forward? So Mayor Lightfoot, um, she wraps up her letter. She, here's what she says. She says, I'm urging you to stay the course. Now tell me if this, tell me if this doesn't sound ominous and doesn't explain exactly what happened to Cornerstone Baptist Church. I'm urging you to stay the course, she says. If there is a problem, I would rather be in conversation than in conflict. But to be clear, right. I am resolute that I must enforce the rules of the governor's stay-at-home order. To be fair to all, I simply cannot look away from non-compliance, no matter the source or the intention. So then she sort of... Yeah, ended. well, and I think she did what... She's being the governor, right? She's... The, the mayor. The, God has assigned governors to execute justice and have yes. carry the sword. Mm-hmm. And that's her sword statement. Right. She's saying, I will execute what I say I'm going to do. Right, that's and right. And so, you know, okay, I, I, I get that. The, again, I think the issue is further upstream. And, you know, one of the things, just to clarify, uh, she quotes from Matthew 18, where uh, she says where two or three are gathered mm-hmm. um, as a defense of, look, you can do this online. That's not what that passage is about. Uh, that passage, just if you do, if you study the Bible, it's not just saying you have a church whenever you have two or three people. It's talking about when you have an argument with another Christian brother and you need judgment made about how to resolve a conflict within the church where, let's say, Joel, you and I got in a really heated argument and we were having a hard time worshiping together and there was disharmony within the body of Christ. It says, look, when you go to get judgment on that, when there's two or three people gathered together, I am there among them, meaning when other, when two or three people are gathered together weighing in on that division, I am with you as brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, helping resolve that conflict. And so it's, that verse is oftentimes taken way out of context, and it's, it, I don't think it's, uh, it's a helpful or applicable verse in this particular situation. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're right. Keep going. I think that, you know, there's another piece, Joel, that I think is so important. <clears throat> the biblical worldview is... It, has at its centerpiece a vision that Jesus is building his kingdom and will establish his kingdom and that true healing, the the true healing both for body, for soul, for mind, for spirit is found in Jesus. And as the church is his primary agent, I don't want to say primary agency, but as the main agency where his spirit is working through as he establishes churches around the world, just as he said he would, uh, that's why we think the church is so vital. I posted this uh, article to Twitter a couple weeks ago, or a week ago or so. In California, they've experienced, and this is just heartbreaking, and in the Christian community, we're feeling this because we've had a few church leaders across the nation who have uh, committed suicide recently. But in California, uh, the National Review posted that they've had a year's worth of suicide in four weeks in California. In four weeks. Why am I bringing that up? That's a very real thing. Everyone said this was going to be an issue when we hit pandemic. Everyone knew this was going to be an issue, but they said it's the language is almost it's a necessary cost to save more lives. We've got to go on the pandemic to save lives. The reality is, is that the solution to loneliness and depression and suicide is Jesus. He is the one that heals a wounded soul. And, and 
until a person who is struggling through that finds their identity in, in Christ and finds the healing that Christ can actually offer, until that is so that wound is healed by the only one who is able to heal it, um, there's going to be a struggle there that comes out in a thousand different ways. Every person has some kind of wound or many wounds we're dealing with. That particular one is so pervasive and it's amplified. And what people need is not Zoom counselors, is not uh, Zoom education, is not some other book to read. They need the church. They need the gathering of the saints and the preaching of God's word, which convicts their soul and brings about renewal of the heart and the mind. Yeah. And it's through that where healing takes place. Yeah. And so literally the biblical worldview is, yes, can Christ heal without the gathering of the church? Of course. And is he doing it? Yes. But we're, we're, we're literally robbing ourselves. If, we, if the longer we keep the church from gathering, the longer we don't allow people to actually get the actually only healing that can fix their soul and their heart. And that is the greatest need the world has, is Christ. And so that's the biblical worldview. And we have to start with that, frame our thinking around that, and then with respect, listen and learn and be good scientists and be objective thinkers, but think from the Bible up, knowing Christ is the one that heals. And so we do want to get back, and we want to do it wisely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, the, the same Jesus who promises to receive anyone who comes to him with a heavy burden, uh, who's, who's weary and heavy laden, is the same Jesus who lays out the separation of church and state. Right. And, and you know, um, he does this so brilliantly in Mark chapter 12. And if you remember the story, uh, this is at a time Jesus is being challenged, as he often was by his opponents uh, who, who were uh, the, the, the religious uh, political elites of, of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they came to Jesus and challenged him, you know, listen, is it lawful for us as Jewish people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they were trying to capture Jesus because if Jesus came out in terms of uh, being a loyalist to Caesar, well, then he's a traitor to the Jewish people. But if Jesus comes around and says, no, you know, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, then now he's an insurrectionist. So they think they've got him either way, right? Right. But in, so in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus goes, Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. You can just picture like cartoon style, this group of, of uh, robed and phylacteried right. Pharisees just uh, hanging there with their mouths, their jaws dropping open at the wisdom of Jesus. And, and, you know, and it's from this verse, as well as passages like Romans 13 and elsewhere, Acts chapter four, which we should look at, where we get this principle that there are certain responsibilities that belong to Caesar, to Pritzker, to Lightfoot. Right. And there are other responsibilities that belong to God. Well, really it's all God's. Okay. Right. But but um, in terms of Good clarification, yeah, yeah, right, right. There, um, so, so, you, so now the question is, well, what are those things? Okay, and, and it's not just responsibility; it's authority. Correct. There, yes, that's right. Authority granted to government, and there's certain authority granted to the church. There's yes. certain authority granted to you as a dad yeah. over your household that is divinely given. It's not culturally created. Mm -hmm. It's not just the way we just so happen to create culture around us, that this is the way the world is. Yeah. It's actually the way God made it. 
And when we usurp those lanes of authority and we take one of them. So if we try to say that, you know, if we were to say, Joel, you as the head of your household, the, the, fam the, the, the husband of your wife, you have authority to create law for the United States of America. It would be a, it would be, okay, that's out of lane. Like you being a dad, you have certain authority over your family unit, but you do not have the authority to create law and execute justice on the evildoer, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's certain authority that the government has, and they do not have the authority to tell you how to be a father to your family and to, and to how you should be teaching your children. And those two, th that should not be the case. And it's the Christian worldview that gives us those lanes of authority. It's the Bible being built up that way. Yeah, and and um, and another word we could use is government. The the three governments that God has set right. up among people: the the family, the church, and the state. And um, and then as many people point out there, well, the, the primary government there is self governance. You know, self government, uh, the the freedom and the autonomy to make one's own decisions. Um, and and we have got to keep these lanes distinct from one another. And and so. Um, you know, and, and by the way, and Joel, just, just, you're 100% you're right. And I just want people to understand, it's be, we have been in a number of decades now of those lanes being trampled over. And, and we, and honestly, if there's so many places it's been trampled over and I haven't even thought about it. And then I read and I'm like, oh, how did we get to this place? Because we forgot. And part of our due diligence as Christians, thinking with the Bible is to say, okay, what, what are these separation of powers? Like, how... Why, why are there arguments and conversations happening right now about how parents can or cannot homeschool their children and what right. curriculum they have to or have to not teach? What, what is, what's happening there? Because it's more than a cultural thing. There's actually biblical precedent for who has what authority. And so we've got to go backwards to the Bible's authority that's granted yeah. each of those lanes. No, that, that's good, man. And, you know, um, you mentioned, you said it would be inappropriate for me to have some sort of authority over the the state based on my status as uh, simply as the, the head of my household. Um, when you have that happen, when you have one family or one clan uh, taking over the state, we call that mob rule or the mafia. When mm -hmm. I'm, you know, uh, or, or we see something similar with these drug cartels where you've got these yeah. powerful families that control a region and the government is in their back pocket. Right. Um, we have seen in history where the church has actually been in control of the government. We saw this in the in the medieval ages, oftentimes where the um, the uh, the Roman Church had a, a, a Caesar-like authority over the um, uh, over the the Western world, and and we've seen it even in the last hundred years in places like the USSR, where the government, the state, controls the the family and the church and each of these is an inappropriate balance an unbiblical balance and um and this is why we have a term like totalitarian it's when the state assumes total control over society over a civilization and look we have to put the caveat out there we are not accusing mayor Lori lightfoot of being a totalitarian but Listen to the open, listen to the letter that Mayor Courtney Lewis, sorry, Pastor Corey Lewis, this is the pastor down at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Listen to how he described the attempted raid on his church. Now, this is in a letter to U.S. Attorney John Lausch. He says this, Mayor Lightfoot today, he says, Dear U.S. Attorney John Lausch, 
I'm probably butchering his last name. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot today sent armed police officers to our small church, 45 attendees today, to shut our services down today. They came with three squad cars, two unmarked Durangos, and a mayor's, a mayor representative's car. Like the Soviet-styled KGB, they knocked on our locked doors. The only thing she hasn't done yet is beat the doors down and arrest our members. Thankfully, our doors were locked as a normal safety precaution. We take each service to protect our members from the escalating gun violence in Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot is defiant of the U.S. Constitution and our freedom to worship. Rafe, I'm reading what this pastor said here. Right. Mayor Lightfoot has a history of defying the law. She is one of the few former U.S. prosecutors in the U.S. to be censured by the Seventh Circuit Judge Rovner and the entire Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals for defying their order. Our church has gone out of its way to follow CDC guidelines, and we have cooperated fully, having online services, outdoor services, and practicing all social distancing requirements. We are even taking members' temperatures on the way in our church doors. We are not allowing elderly to our elderly to attend services. We are trying to follow the laws of man as much as reasonably possible. But when the laws of man conflict with the laws of God, I, as a pastor, have a duty to follow the laws of God. There, there's that that uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give right. to God what is God's. We will not be intimidated by this overhanded government bully, but we are requesting the assistance of our president and our justice department in correcting the grave miscarriage of the law. If it were not, get this, Rafe. This is tied in exactly with what you were saying earlier. If it were not for a Chicago church practicing and reaching others, I personally would be one of the people perpetuating the violence on the streets of Chicago as I grew up on the streets of Chicago until I was reached for Christ wow. through a church meeting together, not an online service. Yeah. Please contact me as soon as you can. Then he leaves his phone number and says, please help. Sincerely, <coughs> Lewis, Pastor. Rafe, is that not a powerful appeal? Oh, drawing yeah. on the standing on the biblical worldview, I didn't find it to be disrespectful. It's mm -hmm. biblical, it's Christian, and it's urgent. <clears throat> yeah, he worded that really well, and I think that the personal testimony in there is super important. Yes. And again, I think as I go back to Lightfoot, I, I do think the police was uh, a step too far. I think that probably was not the best way to go about it. Again, the the real issue though is not how she enforces what she says. Right. The real issue is what are her commands and why is she making it that way? And, you know, I think a, a number of kind of national church leaders and like bigger voices in the, in the church today, they've been, they've been saying pretty consistently, look, uh, if there is, and I see one of the questions that's, that's here is at what point would be unbiblical for the church to not meet? Um, I think the, a general perspective that many people have is look, if there's a pandemic and, and and people's lives are at risk, which is what it is right now, and and the government comes and says, we think it's wise to close the doors, and they can be consistent with that, and and there's data to support that, and by all means, yes. Like, I, I think it was Richard Sibbs, who, uh, Mark Dever, who's a well-known pastor, quoted Richard, or not, uh, no, it was John MacArthur, quoted Richard Sibbs last week, basically saying exactly that. If there's a pandemic and the government tells you not to meet, don't meet. And in one regard, you say, okay, amen, like I, we understand, we want the safety of our people. It's, we, we don't have to be that bullish on meeting every Sunday. It's not that legalistic of a thing. It's very important, but we understand it. The issue backs up to helping us understand why we're not 
being told to meet because where is the data? Help us understand it. Where, yes, I want to protect my people. I have a lot of elderly in my congregation and I want to make sure that, oh man, I want to make sure they're as healthy and safe as can be. But how are you coming to the decision you're coming to and where are we granted a seat at the table to understand that so we can confidently stand behind it? Um, is there a time not to meet? Certainly. But I think we have to really ask, what, can, you, can you be consistent as a government in what you're asking? Are you asking the same thing as churches as you're asking of Home Depot? If not, why not? If, if they can figure it out and they can wear masks and have hand sanitizer, like, I, let's be consistent. Let's not target. And I don't think that, I want to be careful. I don't think the government is right now, from what I can see, I don't think they're picking on churches and saying, you can't meet. But I do think that they haven't prioritized them in any meaningful way. I, I think they see them as far less essential than something like a Home Depot or a liquor store. Well, and, and there's a major problem with that because constitutionally speaking, and I, and I would say biblically speaking as well, the state does not have the authority to make any judgment on whether or not churches are essential or, or non-essential. It, right. it, it does not enter into their purview. It's not under their authority. And I say this with all biblical respect for the established state governments. And, and, and when I say state, I mean the magistrates, the, the mayors and the councilmen right. and you know, the aldermen and the, um, the, the governor and the, the legislature. Um, the, the government does not have that authority. And so this is why in America, the highest authority in the land is the U.S. Constitution. And the, the Constitution and its accompanying document, the Declaration of Independence, recognize that um, that the rights that are bestowed on us are given by God. They are not created by government. They're, they're recognized by government as limitations on, right. I, I keep saying government, but I mean the state, the state government. And, and so this idea that that you know, President Trump has declared churches to be essential, or we want we want uh, Governor Pritzker to declare churches as essential. The government has no say in whether or not churches are essential. They don't get to declare us essential, non-essential. We're, we're essential. Yeah, that, but doesn't, that, the, doesn't the amendment to the Constitution say uh, in times of pandemic you don't have to listen to the Constitution? <laughs> well, okay, listen, listen, listen. Now, now, now. Here's here's the path to try to get there. Okay, it's in the establishment. No, obviously, obviously, I know, I know, man. But you know, I'm getting fired up here. So, so in the um, in, in the Constitution, powers that are not specifically authorized, not specifically um, uh, given to the federal government, are given to the states. Here's the thing: to the state governments or the people. And uh, Doug Wilson had a great commentary on this the other day. The question is, well, where do we draw the line between the state government and the people of the states? Mm -hmm. Well, when the Constitution was ratified, there was already a balance in place. It was already recognized which authority went to the, the government, let's say, in, in Springfield, even though Illinois wasn't a state then, but but in the state capitals, and then which, which uh, powers were relegated to the people. And um, if you look at the founding documents, you look at the Constitution, you look at even uh, the Illinois Constitution, one of the authorities that we have, the liberties that we have, is to meet and freely exercise our religion. Mm -hmm. Now, if churches want to do that virtually, they're more than welcome to do so. If churches want to do that, uh, if they want to cease doing that, they're more than welcome to do so. But what the state may not do is to 
I would say give edicts or orders to churches about whether they can meet or how they can meet, right. or even really, Rafe, even really to give guidance on what kind of worship is appropriate. Right, right. And and you made this point earlier while we were talking before we started recording. Um, you know, uh, the health commissioner, Allison Arwadi in Illinois, recently delivered a letter to, now this is a Pentecostal church. This wasn't, this isn't the Cornerstone Baptist church, but what she said is, as the health commissioner, I have the power and duty to cause all nuisances affecting the health of the public to be abated with all reasonable promptness and general police powers to correct by whatever means are necessary any health hazard that presents an immediate risk to the life or health of one or more citizens of the city of Chicago. And then uh, she talks about um, how those measures can include summary abatement, which is a legal term which includes to put down or, or destroy without process. So now you've got the Illinois Health Commissioner. Is this Health Commissioner? Oh, sorry, the Chicago Department of Public Health Commissioner saying that she has the authority to destroy churches without due process. Yeah. That is that is okay. unconstitutional. You, you get me fired up. So let's go. Let me, I'm going to, uh, for a moment, take my, I'm not taking my, I never take my pastor hat off. You can't take your pastor hat I'm off. I'm not taking the pastor hat off. I'm just hiding it underneath an American history hat. Okay? <laughs> Don't put your light under a bushel, right? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, America is a really unique place. And I, I think that most modern listeners, I don't, I don't know if we appreciate uh, what the founding fathers or a country tried to create. Uh, and the concept of America is that you and I are kings. They went from an old monarchy system in England where there was one king who ruled with a heavy hand. And basically, if, you know, if the king wanted to arrest you quietly <laughs> and throw you in jail and ruin your family's life and close your business, they could. He was the king. You couldn't do anything against him. And, and then they broke away from that. And they created this new system that had never been tried before. Nothing like it ever existed. But it came with great risk. This is where people don't get it. And, and we have to understand the great American experiment. The great American experiment is that we're going to trust you, Joel, and me to be kings, to exercise our kingliness as citizens with an actual vote to change things. The way we exercise that is through voting. It's a republic, so we vote for leaders who are going to create laws and you know, establish judges and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the concept is that each of us are our own authority. See, we're going back to the self-government thing that the Bible talks about. The American system was actually created with the Bible up saying, how do we, what would be the best form of government we could, we can think of. Right. And how do we establish that from the, this up? Now, all the founding fathers, if you go through all the writings, there's a great book written on this by a guy named Oz Guinness. It's called A Free People's Suicide. Wonderful book. But if you trace all their thinking, they said, look, for this to truly work, if you really want to free people who are ruling themselves, you have to have, you have to have a virtuous people. And if you fail to have a virtuous people, you cannot have a democratic republic like this because it will ultimately fail. You will have, people will uh, be fighting against each other. There won't be common virtues that you all share. And what you'd have to re resort to essentially, if you don't have a shared virtue is kind of like a Leviathan, like the old Thomas Hobbes illustration of, uh, some kind of authoritarian dictatorship telling you what to do. Yeah, I have that quote just from John Adams. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, right. which for him would have meant Christianity. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. 
Now, here's the big point I'm making. Here's the big point I'm making. With great freedom comes incredible risk. You open yourself up by saying the government cannot authoritatively tell us what we can and can't do or how we can and can't do it. We are trusting that individuals sharing a common virtue have enough in their hearts and their minds to do that on their own. And we're going to have a small government that's not a Leviathan telling us everything we can and can't do and how we can and can't worship and what books we can and cannot teach our kids. We're going to be free people, but it comes with risk. And that risk is that some people are going to make bad choices. And I think what we're seeing right here, and we've been seeing this over a long period now, and that book that I just mentioned before traces this well. When you start having that Leviathan government telling you how you can do it, when you can do it, basically what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? We're not virtue enough, virtuous enough to make our own decisions on that. You can't trust us. Mm. So what we really need is a heavy-handed government to tell us how to do it. And that's the antithesis of what the country was founded on. I'm not saying there's not an important time for a good government to establish just laws. That totally, yes and amen, Romans 13. So what our country was founded on is something different. It's a free people making free decisions. And we have to always have a bit of a skeptical eye when we see a heavy hand coming in and stopping free citizens from doing that. Even in a time of pandemic, with respect, we want to just think wisely about it. Yeah, dude, that's good, man. Now, um, we've got some. We've we've got to land this plane. Yeah. And um, why we're having this conversation? I mean, I think it's good for us to be able to work through these issues, Rafe. But we we get a fair amount of viewers, um, especially on Facebook, and then a, a fair amount of people come back later and listen to the podcast. And I'm not assuming that all of them are believers, followers of Christ. I, I hope they become so. I hope they, you know, see their need for the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sinners like us, and repent of their sins and trust in him, believing that he rose from the dead and that he's Lord. That's our prayer, man. That's our hope. Every day. We do it. That's right. And we, we have a lot of people though who are followers of Christ and they need to learn how to think biblically, man. Just mm. like you and I need to learn how to think biblically right. through this. And you, you used the word unprecedented earlier. And yeah, okay, sure, there's been pandemics before in the past, but I've never gone through one, not like this, right? So I've got to learn, this generation has to learn freshly how to think biblically about these issues. So what I'd like to do is there's a couple more questions that have come in and then I want to, I want to turn to scripture. And just, I want to leave our people with, here's how to pray, and here's what to do this coming Sunday. And then any pastors who are listening too, we're not going to tell them what to do. We're not going to try to pastor their churches for them. But maybe we give them a little bit of biblical guidance from a couple of guys who have thought through this issue to, you know, a little grist for their own mill. Um, you know, so so here's that. Here's the first question. This is from Iljin Cho. He says, I know some churches are meeting in Illinois. Are they going against Roman 13 by meeting against the governor's order? And then now he follows that up and he says this. However, should churches, or sorry, should Christians still listen to the state governor, even if he goes against the highest authority? In other words, um, the Constitution. He, he put that in that he believes the Constitution is the highest authority in the USA. Even if he goes against the highest authority because Romans 13 says all authorities and the government would still fall under all. So we've got a, a question here. Which authority do we listen to? Do we listen to the Constitution, the highest authority, or do we listen to the governor because he's included in all authorities? Mm. How do we respond? 
Well, there's a couple layers that I think through right away, and you could add to this. First of all, the highest authority in America is the Bible, <laughs> and then the highest authority for Christians is the wait Bible. A wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me go back. Not for yeah, the highest authority for Christians is the Bible. This okay. is where we root our understanding of right and wrong. And so, if America ever codifies an unjust per biblical law, such as legalizing abortion, we would be against that. We would yeah. we would say, okay, we reject the legalization of abortion, we, we cite a higher authority, the Bible, and we say per the higher authority, that's an unjust law and needs to be rejected. Now, and how so, is that not um, uh, 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 unbiblical conflation of church and state though? How is that not the church imposing its authority? I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. for devil's advocacy purposes sure. here. Well, it, it's built into Romans 13. So Romans 13 says that the uh, the government is the man. My pages are getting ripped in my Bible. Sign of a good Bible. Uh, yeah, sign of a the, sign of a godly life. That the government governing authorities are the deacons of God. They're 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 ministering God's justice. That's what they're doing. They're bearing the sword, and they are a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, when that when that governing authority fails to carry out God's wrath and when they start creating their own sense of justice, which is a deviation from God's justice and carry out their, carrying out their own sword as if it was applying God's justice, uh, they fail to be responsible in their role as a deacon of the Lord in that responsibility. Yes. And so in that case, yes, I, the historic reformed view on this is that Christians have a responsibility to reject that. So for example, you know, I think of our uh, our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church all around the globe who have to gather in underground churches or who refuse to make their church a state sanctioned church yeah, and, and and like China and teach. You know, the state wants you to not teach salvation in Jesus, but to teach salvation in the state. And and the Church of God says we we have to reject that. We, we appeal to a much higher law than you. Mm -hmm. Um and we see that in Acts. What is it, Acts chapter four? Peter's in prison and he's told, do not preach. That's what the governing authority said. Do not preach the Bible. The people of God prayed. Notice the power of prayer. The people of God prayed. An angel is sent to release Peter from prison, literally bursting the jail cells off the hinges of the door. So talk about the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. So God's people get praying. Peter, what does he go do? <laughs> he goes and he goes to the center place and starts preaching the preaching salvation right back into the town square as if he was never commanded not right. to as if he was never arrested for it right and so there there is a time at the same time we have a great respect for the authority of the state when when Amen. paul was being for example when paul was being tried later on in the book of acts and they're telling him he's going to get the death sentence uh for the uprisings he's doing he says look if that's just go ahead and take my life <laughs> he says I'm all for it. If I've broken your law in a way that's worthy of death, take my life yeah. because I submit to the governing authorities in this way. That would be a just law to take my life in that case. But hear the case first. I have the right to have my case heard. And it turns out, obviously, he hadn't done anything worthy of death. And so he didn't get it at that point. Um, what was the question? Where was I going with that? Oh, so uh, what were we talking about? Um, all, authorities. all authorities. Oh, yeah, right. Who do we listen to? Who yeah. do we listen to? And the Constitution that, okay. or the governor so, Christian, or the mayor? We're trying to establish first. Or the president, Rafe, because the president is saying churches are essential. Right. How do we navigate that? Yeah. Well, there's kind of a, two pieces to this. One is I think that one of the benefits of having uh, 
a nation like ours where you have a republic where you can vote is that every four years you get a chance to reelect your people. And so if you don't like the way they're working, it's not that long until you get to reelect it. Now, that doesn't do us a whole bunch of good right now because we have immediate needs. Uh, however, just keep in mind, the system we built in this country is one that you exercise your opinion on how things are going through voting. And so that's great. Okay, in four years, you can re-vote for the person you think will do a better job of it. Um, there is a conflict right now between the federal and some states who are kind of saying opposite things from each other. You have a lot of things at your disposal. Um, civil disobedience is something that is is open. Uh, if it's an unjust law, there's something that you, if you believe and you've gone before God and your elders are praying and, and going over this, this is not where our church has fallen, by the way. We're not about to do civil disobedience right. today. Right. But if the the wisdom of your elders, they're praying, they're seeking God, and you come to a place where you say this seems unjust, and they're and I think your elders have precedent, biblical precedent, to do what they feel the Lord is calling them to do. That they're in that lane, that, and they must stay in that lane. Um, but I would say that you have a lot of means at your disposal. Um, you can. Yeah, that's not the first. That's not the first recourse. Is right. to just go. I don't like this decree. Uh, I'm going to start, you know, rioting in the streets and, 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 uh, well, you're not saying riot any, we, we don't no. do, as Christians, we don't riot, right? No, but, but, not. um, but you're absolutely right because we are in a constitutional Republic. There are means we can, we can seek legal means first legal because, means. Right. because we have that recourse. We are a free country. Right. And so this is why the pastor didn't just go and retaliate or something like that. He wrote a letter to the, um, uh, to a, to an attorney, to the state's attorney, and so um, we have the the liberty to be able to do that. Right. So yeah. that might be a good application piece for Christians watching. If you're dissatisfied, if you're unhappy, seek recourse. Seek right. seek legal, peaceful, right. biblical recourse. One of the benefits of the country we live in, and that's not a benefit every country has, by the way. Other Christians in other countries are have to handle this in very different ways. But there are a lot of good legal ways that you can begin to think through this wisely and take, if you're a pastor, you have to take your people on a journey. Like let, let them know how you're processing this. And I, myself, I, I don't feel like I've done a really wonderful job at that. And I need to keep doing a better job of that. Yeah. What I'm going to, I'm going to post here on the screen is a website. Um, it's illinoispolicy.org slash maps. And this is a website where you can go if you live in Illinois and you can find your local representative. Your, if you live in Chicago, you can find your alderman. You put your address in, they'll let you know who it is. You can, um, you can find your, um, your, your Illinois representative, your Illinois senator, you know, your state senator. And, uh, we would encourage you, if you feel so inclined to pursue, hey, you know what? You could reach out to them and tell them you're doing a great job. You could reach out and say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is great. I think we, we need to play it safe. I think we need to, you know, you should probably even do more. Listen, you're free to do that. This is a constitutional republic. Now, um, uh, so, so that website is available to you. Um, I think one more thing, and, and Rafe, you mentioned the power of prayer earlier. So here's what we need to say. Um, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Starting in verse one, here's what it says. First of all, then I urge that prayers, or sorry, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, mm -hmm. for kings and all those who are in authority. So there's, there's that echo of Romans 13, 
all authorities, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is not a revolutionary passage. This is not a um, a rebellious passage. This right. is this is we want our governors to leave us alone so we can live a quiet life, a peaceful life, so we can worship our God, we can love our families, we can conduct our businesses and and so that the state can use its sword as you mentioned earlier, Rafe, to to punish unjust behavior and to reward good behavior so that the society functions well and is peaceful. And and look, the state is not going to get there on their own. Mm-hmm. The, but but the Bible does say that the hand of a or the heart of a king is like a stream of water in God's hands. If right. we pray, we have every reason to expect that God will redirect that water in a way that is pleasing to Him, good for the state, good for God's people. Right. No. So, um, Rafe, um, any any other next steps you think people should take as we wrap up here? Yeah, you know, I, I would echo what you just said, Joel. I think one of the best things Christians can be doing right now, you know, we're in Chicago, and, and this is a hot spot. I think uh, we, I, I lean on, uh, I'm leaning between these two sides. I see the, I, I see the argument, yes. and I yes. lean towards we're not ready to open up today or tomorrow. That's that's my gut as I'm praying between me and the Lord and with the, the elders. I just feel it's not, no, come on. We, there, there's there's some hard stuff ahead. That doesn't mean churches who have decided to do it are wrong. It's just not the way I'm being led right now. Lean on generosity. Lean on compassion. I think also, you know, we live in a split America. If those who watch Fox News and those who watch CNN. And I think the Christian needs to rise above that split. Uh, that doesn't mean that both don't have wonderful things to offer and there's not truth to be found in both of them. But you really have to, as a Christian, go back to the Word of God, and you've got to think through these things through biblical worldview and take time to pray about them. God does give you discernment, and and oftentimes discernment in a divided place is it's not the the cultural swing. You have to be okay with taking a a, a bit of a a, a non kosher view on things as a Christian because you're a Christian. <laughs> that's that's how life is. That's right. You got. You got not acceptable views on a whole lot of stuff, yeah, um, right. but you know what? It's acceptable to God, so I'm going to go with that one, and mm-hmm. it's it's a good place to stand. And so, what I would say is, keep praying. Uh, if you're navigating this, if you're uh, upset or angry, I got a feeling your pastor would love to hear from you. <laughs> I got a feeling not not if you're angry at him, <laughs> I, but I think he would love to hear how you're processing, and that he could have a chance to share with you how he's processing. Mm-hmm. Every pastor, myself included. This is the first time any of us have gone through a pandemic, like Joel said. We're doing our best. Yeah. And so be prayerful for those who are leading churches. Be prayerful for your governors. Um, and uh, I, I trust God. He's building his church. The, the church continues to move on. The church is just fine, by the way. The church is being built. I'm seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ for mm-hmm. the first time, even now when we can't meet. Um, and so the church is doing okay. Dude, you know what? We should talk in the near future. Um, we should talk about... Um, these Romanian churches. But you know what I really want to talk about is what we can see God. Okay. I'm looks like I'm back. No, you're back. Okay. I heard nothing. You didn't, did you hear me or no? For the last hour and 20, I haven't even been able to hear you, Joel. Dude, that's fine. I, 
this is you know what's nice about this i would be sitting in my office rambling to myself anyway this is nice because you know now i get to look at your ugly mug so uh you know something dude um this was good um if you if you enjoyed this content if you're on facebook give it a like um like the think institute page if you are um if you're on your computer you're on your phone as soon as this is done head on over to rafe Chenery, R-A-E-F-C-H-E-N-E-R-Y.com. You're going to get great content from Rafe there on his blog. You know what? Go to thethink.institute to connect with us. And um, hey, if you're watching on Facebook, you know, we have got dozens and dozens and dozens of these videos. Facebook has been doing very well for us lately. And um, we, we just, we love creating content like this. Share it with a friend. And you know what? This is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. Um, we hope that you found something useful. I know it's been useful for me. Go put it into practice. And uh, let's see. That's about, I guess, all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think. Mm-hmm.